Hello, my oral surgery friends. This is your host, Dr. Grant Stuckey. In this podcast, you will hear surgeons discussing ways to improve the practice of oral and maxillofacial surgery. The goal of this podcast is to evaluate every aspect that a surgeon can improve in order to create a better experience for patients, staff, and the surgeon. Most of the information shared in this podcast will be based on personal experience and opinions. The methods discussed are meant to provoke thought and should be supplemented with research into the approved studies prior to making changes to one's way of practice. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. Today I'm with Dr. Robert Marks. He's an oral and maxillofacial surgeon practicing in the Miami area. He's been on our podcast before. Bob, thanks for joining us today. Hey, you're welcome. Uh, Anxiously looking forward to talk to your colleagues. Yes, it's terrific. I'm excited about this topic. We're going to talk a little bit about ameloblastomas. So I guess we can just jump into it and kind of hand it over to you. Great. Well, thank you. The title of this is The Modern Method to Cure and Reconstruct the Ameloblastomas of the Jaws. Now, ameloblastomas are one of the most common benign tumors that oral and maxillofacial surgeons face. It is something that occurs generally in younger people. The usual technique is to do a continuity resection in the mandible or the maxilla. The nerve is usually taken, leaving somebody numb. The reconstruction is usually harvesting autogenous bone from the anterior or the posterior hip, and then or a microvascular fibula, all of which have significant morbidity, length of hospitalization. That is all passe. Today, we do much better, and that will be the focus of what I want to talk about today. I am Bob Marks from University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. I retired in August to pursue what we're talking about here, and that's stem cell biology. My only disclosure, I'm the consultant for LengthBar, which has developed what we call the Merrill Marksman as a game changer to harvest autogenous stem cells to regenerate large quantities of bone. I'll give you three sample cases. Here's a young man. You can see he's in hospital clothing, so we're obviously going to be doing a surgery. He has a biopsy-proven ameloblastoma between the left lower bicuspids and canine teeth. To gain a margin, we're going to need to remove five teeth. That would be the resection. Now, what we do see, if uh, I can show you that, is that there is an area around the mental nerve. Today, we don't need to take the nerve. The man has pristine teeth, very good oral hygiene. And so we accomplish a transoral approach, reflect this, and you can see the outline of the ameloblastoma approaching the mental foramen. Yep. Now, most people would look to go ahead and remove that nerve, and the patient would have a permanent numbness. So we accomplish removal of one tooth on each side, accomplish a resection, preserving the inferior border. The marginal integrity needs to be about one centimeter, which in this case we did without compromising principles. Now, we put a couple stabilization devices on it, but what I point out to you is the neurovascular bundle is preserved. Now, notice I didn't say the nerve is preserved. Indeed, it is, but the nerve is within a neurovascular bundle, which means it contains a small artery, a vein, lymphatics, and it is enveloped by a neurofibroma sheath. This is different than an epineurium because benign tumors cannot invade a neural sheath. Therefore, these people are not numb prior to the surgery, and it's probably obtuse to leave them numb after the surgery. Now, what we do today is we don't harvest bone from the autogenous uh, 
anterior or posterior limb and create that limp and post-operative pain. We use crushed cancellous allergen egg bone. That's the white stuff in the cup. And in the red stuff is bone marrow aspirate. And the white stuff is a recombinant human bone morphogenetic protein. So size makes a difference when you're dealing with allergen egg bone. Some good research by Tom Temple at the University of Miami Tissue Bank has shown that the particles work best if you're between 100 and 300 microns. And I know that most of you use some type of an allergen egg bone or even a, a xenogen egg bone. Keep the size of them between these parameters. Less than 100 microns often induces inflammation and it's over 300 microns, they tend not to get incorporated well. So this is the ideal size, if you will. So we create this composite graph, again, of what we call in-situ tissue engineering. It has the sponges of recombinant human bone morphogenetic protein, crushed cancellous alginate bone, and a bone marrow aspirin. Now, this is why you want to keep the bone particles together, because in order for bone to bridge and to form, it requires a framework, a scaffold. And this was a good capture of the fibrin-fibronectin combination of annealing bone particles together. And that was due mainly to the size. So anyway, for the clinician, you create this composite of allogeneic bone particles, recombinant human bone morphogenic protein, and the red stuff in there is a bone marrow aspirin, but no centrifugation anymore. You don't need a centrifuge. So this makes it much easier and much better than PRP. So we just pack that in, close up. And people have been concerned about uh, opening and dehiscence. With the BMP and with the stem cells, they are so active that they heal this very rapidly. And there's little chance for ingress of saliva and other things that contaminate your graft. We kind of hedge our bets a little bit, and we will put a layer of dermabonds on the suture line which acts as a temporary sealer. I certainly can recommend that as a technical nuance. But you can see the bone that's formed without opening up any hip or taking any fibula. So this person here had his ameloblastoma removed. He has his nerve completely intact. Six months later, we open it up and we have very good height of bone with biologic width sufficient for a dental implant of almost any diameter you would like. So three implants are placed to restore five teeth. We allow them to osseointegrate as you would any other bone dental implant interface. And you see now a fixed bridge work with bone height equal to the CE junction of adjacent teeth. So we're restoring the mandible with normal trabecular bone to its original height and width. It's incredible. He had certainly a nice prosthodontic. And even though he has no keratinized tissue, he seemingly not, did not need it due to his oral hygiene. And so here with an individual now, no external scar in the neck, no external scar on the hip, a complete sensation to lip and chin, a cured amyloblastoma. This is the wave of the future. It's tissue engineering at its best. Now, here's a cute story. This is another fellow. He's a dancer on Broadway. He has a big amyloblastoma. Now, this one, we went extraorally, but he still has a big amyloblastoma. And you can see encroaching on his neurovascular bundle. Now, this is the histology of amyloblastoma, which we won't necessarily get into, just to prove that it was indeed an amyloblastoma. Now, we go extraorally and hide his incision. So even when we go extraorally, we can hide the incision in skin folds. And so we expose, you can see the, the expansion of the amyloblastoma. This was resected, but 
in what we call a double end block technique. We did a decortication. So once again, based on the new knowledge that amyloblastomas and other benign tumors don't have the invasive or enzyme capability to invade a neural sheath, there's no reason to take the nerve anymore. So we take the outer cortex first, then we take the rest of the mandible in a continuity resection like this, but the neurovascular bundle is still intact. Margins of clarity are there so that there is a curative approach. And now we have a cable of a neurovascular bundle. There is indeed an oral opening because he had teeth, that's closed. And then we put in a titanium plate with a mesh to contain it. And in my profession, there's always an issue about how high do you keep the mesh? Really, you don't need to keep it high at all. This is probably a little higher on the flange than I would normally do. But you want it shaped like a U-shape at the inferior border so you can condense your bone around it. A question comes up, what do you do with the neurovascular bundle? Well, you pack bone below it, above it, lingual to it, buckled to it, leave it in this natural position. So where makes this all this work? What the real game changer occurred was with flexmetric technology with bone marrow harvesting without centrifugation, harvesting osteoprogenitor cells and true stem cells. So this is the marrow marksman, as it's called. It's harvesting bone can be done even in the office under IV sedation, under good local, here it happened to be in the operating room. That flexibility guides the device to the lining cells of the inner cortex so that you harvest more stem cells with this than you do with any centrifugation of a larger amount. And in the animal models, uh, we were able to show indeed that it hugged that lining. Here's where all the stem cells are. There's very few stem cells in the center of a marrow space. Our research has shown that they are lining cells. So devices need to go after that area. In a cartoon sense, in one of the books we published, this is the drawing that we're looking at that actually skies along that inner cortex, sucks up stem cells for the use. And then from a histologic perspective, you can see lining cells right here. These are stem cells or osteoprogenitor cells. They are known to be adherent to bone surfaces. They are not much in the center. So once we found that out, this device with flexmetric technology called the Merrill Marksman is able to harvest all the stem cells one needs for even a big continuity defect like this, which was nine centimeters. So the advantages of this flexmetric design in a nutshell, highest yield of stem cells, osteoprogenitor cells, breakage resistant, and it only takes five to seven minutes because you don't need to spend time putting a centrifuge. And it contains more of the growth factors and cells than does a PRP or a PRF. So here we put this composite graph in. It looks like ketchup in a way, but it's not. It's a very regenerative composite of bone. But the acid test is his swelling goes down. He's normal in appearance. He has no external scar other than the one on his neck, which is pretty well hidden. His hips are fine. He went back to his dancing on Broadway. He was in the hospital less than two days. So this whole paradigm has changed about how amyloblastomas are treated. Less hospitalization, better results, excellent bone, where you see the neurovascular bundle is now outlined well as the bone matures. Height of bone that's equal to a normal bone with good biologic width so that you can put in as wide of an implant as you can. And of course, the height, where here, this is 22 millimeters before you get to the uh a neurovascular bundle. So long implants can be placed if that's what the restorative dentist requires. 
So the ideal is restoring people back to normalcy, take out the tumor and don't debilitate the individual. Plants went in. Uh, he was a citizen of New York. My colleague, Dick Crowd at uh, Montefiore Hospital, put the implants in and put the uh, his group put the teeth in. I did see one of his plays afterward. He was dancing as well as anybody could imagine. And just another one to prove the point. Here is another uh, person here who has an ameloblastoma with a large lingual spelling. Once again, radiolucency. We did the, the hidden incision technique on him. But remember, we have to go intraorally as well. But here's the decortication technique for the oral surgeons. Uh, you take a 702 burr and sink it down only through the cortex as the length of the flutes on the burr. That will protect you from dinging the nerve underneath it and also protect you from getting into the tumor. So then you wedge this out. So this is a little bit of technique. Any well-trained oral surgeon can do this. So you take out the lateral cortex. That's the first end block. Any tumor adherent to that is part of the specimen. Then you leave this inferior alveolar neurovascular bundle intact. This one, we had to remove from the metal foramen. Sometimes you don't. So this is easily plied out. And you can observe that there's no tumor adherent to the neurovascular bundle. If you care to put loops on and to give you that assurance, one can, but uh, we've done over 280 of these with not a single recurrence in any that we have followed for more than five years. So here's the tumor coming out. It's still en bloc, so there's no spilling of tumor into surrounding tissues. There is now the neurovascular bundle, and now we put our graft in, suture things to a titanium plate, close the wound. And once again, the oral side is always a big concern. Are you going to get saliva leakage as it pools there? A good closure with whatever technique you prefer. I like a um, horizontal mattress with an overlaid baseball, but always line it with a little dermabond, which is inexpensive, sort of like a super glue, but that seals it. And then the result is, again, bone with all the implants one needs of whatever demand is required by the prosthodontist and are nicely restored. So it gives a restorative dentist the chance to treat this patient, not so much as a tumor patient, but as a just another patient who lost their teeth in that area. So this is another person who is has no numbness in the lip or chin, is adequately restored. The bone lasts as long as the patient does. It's the patient's own bone. If it's in a growing person, it will grow with them. And again, good dentistry completes the project so that we restore people back to as close to what they once had as possible. Very nice. And so this is his final picture. You can see he's nicely symmetrical and goes on with his, his life, goes on with his family. That's a change that's gone on. We don't have to debilitate people. We can preserve nerves. Just a real quick statistics on that. How good is this nerve preservation? In 56 cases, 50 of them could not tell a difference between their opposite side. Return of sensation is what ROS stands for. A few of them could determine a little difference, but not too many. And uh, they had 90 to 99%, 80 to 90%. And this is probably ones that we manipulated the nerve a little bit more. Compared to a nerve graft, nobody in a nerve graft ever gets 100%. They don't get 90%. Even in a good result, most of them get 70 to 80%. So it, it certainly is better than nerve grafting, as you can see. So hopefully this has been a, a quick review of the modern way to treat amyloblastomas. If you're not an oral surgeon and you have a diagnosis of an amyloblastoma in your patient population, discuss this type of an approach with them. It's something that is catching on 
and is really much better for patients today. I thank you for your attention in, in the limited time we have. I hope that that uh, is some new information to you. It's something we've been doing for a while and are very proud of the results. Thank you. Oh, thank you. You know, I really think it's incredible that you're able to preserve sensation and not, you know, have the morbidity of a second sight and fibular grafts or hip grafts and all this extra stuff. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, that's one of our goals is that the whole mantra in medicine today is minimally invasive, reduce morbidity, reduce hospital stay, reduce ICU time. This speaks to that and puts oral and maxillofacial surgery and dentistry in that same level as our physician colleagues. And that's been one of the goals. We are now as a profession, dentistry as well as oral and maxillofacial are accepted now on that level with physicians. Glad to see that. Yeah, one question I had was, you know, is there a certain size of, of the lesion that would kind of preclude you from using this technique and make you move toward using a fibula or some other form of no, construction? There's two answers to that. No and hell no. Uh, <laughs> not, trying to, not trying to be too cute about that. No, there had been articles out of San Francisco, Tony Pago's program that claimed that a defect greater than six centimeters requires a fibula. Then they kind of backtracked on that and said nine. The answer is no. If you've got the soft tissue, we've reconstructed angle to angle and ramus to ramus. It's unlimited. It's unlimited. Awesome. Certainly fibulas have their place, particularly cancer patients. But this is one additional trick in the bag of tricks that oral surgeons have today. You just don't need a fibula in many cases. That's so great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Did you have something else to say? No, no. Good to be part of your program. Thank you for the invitation. Have a great day. Thanks so much, Dr. Mark. You bet. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. If you are an oral and maxillofacial surgeon and would like to be on this podcast, please email me at grantstuckey at gmail.com or text me at 720-441-6059. Also, if you have any topics that you would like to hear discussed or feedback on a certain episode that has already aired, please call or email or text me. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. 